Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography, the podcast where real couples like us candidly navigate the journey to a healthier, more connected life. Join us as we share personal experiences, expert insights, and practical tips to help you thrive in your relationships and break free. Together, let's repair and build a rock-solid connection, becoming a couple that can overcome any challenge. I'm Zach. And I'm Darcy. We're an LDS couple who struggled with unwanted pornography in our marriage for many years. What was once our greatest struggle and something we thought would destroy us has become our greatest blessing and triumph. Our hope is that as you listen to our podcast each week, you'll be filled with hope and healing and realize that you too can thrive beyond pornography and create the marriage you have always desired. Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography. We're so glad you're here and we believe in you. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography. I'm Zach, and I've got Darcy here with me today. Hello. How you doing? I'm so good. Yeah. Hey, we wanted to start a three-part series for you guys today with the story of who Darcy and I are. Uh, I don't think we've ever really discussed that in depth, and I think it will give you an idea of who we are and how we came to be doing what we do now and maybe how we can help you. So today I want to start with Darcy and kind of give you, have her tell her story from, from the beginning, everything important. (laughs) All right. So I, I, I just thought it would be important to discuss this because I realized on our podcast, we've never actually like told our story from start to finish. We've been interviewed on different podcasts and stuff. If you've listened to those, but we on our own podcast have never done this. And since we are switching to focus more on the actual relationship, I just really wanted to give you guys an idea of like who we were growing up and just how we've gotten to where we are today. So that is why we're doing this. Sounds exciting. I know. I probably just repeated everything Zach said, but (laughs) I wanted to say it. Say it. Anyways, so I was born in 1983, so that puts me in my last year of my 30s. And my parents uh, had four kids really, really quickly, and then there was a four-year gap, and I came. So I was the youngest of five growing up. My mom was, like, hardcore Catholic. She went to Catholic school as a kid and got hit with rulers by the nuns. So all five of my siblings, we were all baptized Catholic. But shortly after I was born, my family stopped going to church. My mom said with with five kids, nine and under, it was just way too hard to go to church. And so we stopped and we went for like Christmas Eve and maybe Easter that I can remember. Um, So when I was born, I lived in Yorba Linda to start off with. And then in second grade at the end, we moved to Temecula. And that in California, yeah, it's Macula, California, yeah. and that was where I finished out the rest of my school years, and I graduated in two thousand one. Uh, so I was the baby of the family until basically my sixteenth birthday, and just before my sixteenth birthday, my parents uh, went to Kazakhstan and adopted two little girls. Uh, one was they picked her out; <laughs> she was seven months old at the time, and my other sister was six. And so I spent the week of my 16th birthday welcoming my new sisters. And we celebrated my 16th birthday and my new sisters. It was her first birthday the day before mine. Um, And so that's been what we've done every year. 
And in my junior year of high school, my parents uh, went back to Kazakhstan and adopted one more baby girl. So when all was said and done, uh, there ended up being eight kids in my family of origin, uh, three boys and five girls, which is kind of funny because Zach and I have eight kids and we have five girls and three boys. What? And I never really thought that. So that's kind of weird. I never actually put that together in my own mind. Right now. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. Anyways, halfway through my junior year, I started dating a freshman in college, and I knew him through a previous boyfriend. And in fact, we went to prom sophomore year in the same group of friends. Uh, This new boyfriend of mine was a Mormon. And I'll be honest, looking back, I didn't really know what it meant to be a Mormon, except that you didn't have sex, you wore a one-piece swimsuit, and you went to church for a lot of hours. And you went consistently. Way back when it was three hours. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that was honestly my understanding of what a Mormon was. After a few months of dating, he handed me a pass-along card, and on it he wrote a scripture verse, and it was the scripture about how God knew me before I was formed in the womb. And I thought that was a really odd scripture that he shared with me. I wanted to attend church with him to see what it was like, but my mom was majorly against it, and so I never went. And then you fast-forward to my mom was back in Kazakhstan adopting my last sister and it was junior prom night. Um, and I went to prom with him. And then the next morning I attended church for the first time and I loved it. I love that it was real people getting up and sharing what was important to them. I loved how I could understand what it was that was being taught and I was able to apply it. It was very different than like Catholic church where the priest got up and like, recited things and talked really deep. And a lot of times I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, So I continued to go to church against my parents' wishes. And the missionary started teaching me about the gospel in my front yard because they were not allowed to come into my home. I Uh, like that. I like that your parents (laughs) were like, "You, you can learn the gospel in the yard but not inside the house. Well, it makes a big difference, and really, doesn't it? Really, they weren't even for me learning it in the yard. It's just that my mom worked full time and my dad like was traveling all the time for work. And so they didn't really kind of know what was going on. I mean, they did, but they didn't and they couldn't really stop it. So basically they just weren't allowed in the house. Yes. Because, partly because there was nobody else. Like they couldn't go in the house with just me. Which I find fascinating because if your boyfriend had come over, you could have been alone in the house with him. Yeah, but well, no, the missionaries weren't allowed in. I know that's what I'm saying. Okay, but, but my boyfriend was away at college at this point. Oh, that's true. And on a mission, actually. Anyways, so I worked towards I like received my medallion and everything before I even got baptized. Your young women's medallion. Yes, and then um, I got baptized in July, right after I graduated high school, and yeah, it's kind of crazy, but. So my experience with going to church, so a lot of the girls were really cruel at church to me. Um, Looking back, I can see that I was a threat to them. I was dating the guy they all wanted to date. I dressed in a way that I was confident and comfortable with, but now understand was viewed as uh, sexual, sexually enticing, and immodest. I never viewed the way I dressed as an act of seduction or trying to get the attention from boys. I genuinely dressed the way I did because I felt comfortable and confident, and I loved my clothes. And Darcy loves clothes. 
Let's be honest. Yep. <laughs> so I, I quickly learned, though, from the community that I was in that the way I was dressing was not appropriate and that it made it hard for boys to think pure thoughts. My body became slowly became something that I was no longer comfortable with. My body felt as though it was no longer mine and that it belonged to those around me. It was something that I loved and was so comfortable with that was now something that was like threatening of my safety and the safety of others. And it just was a very different shift for me. Um, I made huge changes in the way that I dressed and the activities I did with boys. I, I wanted to belong. That's a really, like, <laughs> a really polite way of saying you stopped making out with boys. And more, but yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I really wanted to be accepted by this new tribe. And I very much internalized that if I wanted to belong to this group, I needed, I needed to change. I needed to dress in a certain way. I needed to act a certain way. And I needed to not deviate from that. And you might be thinking, okay, why is she sharing this? And the reason why I'm sharing this is because it really set me up in this mindset of not being willing to be sexual. It, it, it kept me from fully embracing my sexuality once I was married. And then it also helped, it like gave me reasons to judge other women harshly. Uh, and when Zach was struggling with pornography, it just, it was just a constant theme in my life. And it wasn't until many, 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 many years later that I was able to take back my, my body and reclaim it. And we'll, we'll talk about that more later, but that is why I wanted to share this bit of, um, when I joined the church and kind of what my experience was. Now, I realized that nobody necessarily told me exactly these things, but I very much internalized all of these ideas from those around me and from the culture. So so what you're saying is you picked up a lot of information in that cultural shift from being who you were without the gospel to coming into this culture and, and into the gospel itself, so coming into both the doctrine and the, and the culture of the church. And some of those things that you picked up created for you uh, a barrier to your own sexuality and then also to how you interact and created some, some struggle with how you would interact with me later on in our struggle with pornography. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So then after I got baptized, which was in July, it was like, gosh, maybe t not even two weeks later, I moved up to BYU-Idaho for college and I loved being surrounded by so many members of the church. I roomed with my new bestie, Aubrey, who was a year older than me, uh, but it was her last year of girls camp and my first year ever going. And my Mormon mom basically went up to Aubrey and said, hey, I need you to go be her friend. So can you just be her friend? So basically, Aubrey was my paid friend at girls camp. <laughs> and we're actually best friends to this day. And... We're actually going to interview her at some point for the podcast uh, so she can kind of tell her side of the story because she was there. Tell the outside looking in version. Yeah, yeah. but she was there like... I think you're going to have to explain. And all of the things. So. Yeah, 
I think you're going to have to explain also what a Mormon mom is because that's not a thing. Yeah, so my Mormon <laughs> mom is actually the guy that I dated's mom. So the mother, obviously the mother of the I guy didn't end up marrying him. He came from, home from his mission and we decided not that we weren't going to be a thing. And I was a student at BYU. And anyways, I met Zach like four months after yeah. he came home. So, and, and we still, like that's a family that we still hang out with and they're lovely people and we like, we love them. Yes. They're wonderful people. So we go camping with my Mormon mom every year. Yeah. <laughs> at the beach. So, so yeah, that is kind of my upbringing um, and where I came from. So I hope that that gives you an idea of who I am. and A little bit, anyway. Yeah, a very little bit. A little bit. bit. A 10-minute version of who I am yeah. growing well, up. Well, uh, yeah, before we got married, anyway. Yeah. So for me, my struggle with pornography and my, my story really starts in earnest when I when I found pornography, and, I, and I've, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast, but when I found pornography for the first time, I found it uh, on Dugway Proving Ground in... Uh, an old abandoned well it wasn't abandoned it was like they put truck tires giant truck tires on our playgrounds and then you know as kids we would play in them for no good reason because they always smelled like cat pee and there it was I mean it was sitting in there I don't think I ever really played in it but it was like one of those places where you like jump in real quick and then you would leave because it stunk and they're inside that truck tire and I actually had a client tell me the other day he's like yeah the first time I found pornography was also in one of those giant truck tires so apparently they are repositories of pornography so you should teach your children never to go into them ever if they still exist (laughs) if they still exist I would think they still do somewhere anyway anyhow so I I found pornography and it wasn't so much that I was like oh this is bad or anything it was just like oh this I'm interested in this this is I'm curious about what this is I didn't think anything of it from a moral perspective, although I'm sure I didn't tell my parents. So, you know, that's that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I can, I, maybe I could tell that it wasn't something I would share with them, but it wasn't necessarily something that I was like, this is totally not a good idea. And as, as I grew beyond that, so, you know, we moved to Germany, we spent a couple of years in Germany, and pornography was really easy to get and really easy to find in Germany. Uh, I know that, uh, well... Let me just say that my one of my older brothers had his fair share of pornographic magazines that you could just literally go down to the gro- to the store and pick up from the corner store, and nobody would bat an eye at it as a kid, even even as a. I mean, I don't think my brother was like seventeen, my oldest brother, so it wasn't a big deal there. And I think Europe is a lot less. Well, I know Europe is a lot less strict about you know who can buy pornography and that sort of thing, so not a big deal. But I would find his stuff, and I would you know, peruse it. And it was, uh, again, I was curious. I was interested in what it, what it was and why it was that it was so interesting to me. And after that, we moved to Alaska. And I think this is where, this is where, uh, I realized that masturbation was kind of forbidden by the church and it wasn't a, it wasn't an appropriate activity for me to be engaging in according to the things that I had been taught in the, in, in the gospel. And, that was the first place where I really had said, okay, this is the last time I'm going to do this. And at that point, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of access to pornography, although occasionally I would come across it, across it. But it wasn't as though I you know, had this constant access like, uh, like is available today. So it was a very different space than, than anything that I think kids are living with right now. 
where they can constantly get access to it. But it was something that was, again, it was curious to me. But also, this is the place, this is really the place where I was really, I had learned that masturba masturbation felt great and I was engaging with it somewhat regularly, but I was also thinking, you know, I this needs to be the last time. I'm not going to do this anymore. This isn't who I really want to be. And of course, every time I would say, this is the last time, <laughs> it wouldn't be the last time. It was one of those things where, I was basically saying to myself, okay, I'm going to quit next time, but I never said, oh, I'm quitting this time. So that, that led us to Illinois. So we moved a lot. My dad worked for the government, and he was the, he was the deputy director of mortuary affairs for the Navy. And we moved to Illinois where they had Great Lakes Naval Training Center, and I, we got access to the internet in our house for the very first time. It was dial-up. <laughs> and, and like this is when they would still mail you these uh, CDs from AOL online, which doesn't, like, you can't even get internet from that now. I don't think that even exists anymore. And you would plug it into your computer, and you get, like, a month free of internet. And so that was the first time I really had internet at home, and porn became accessible. And this is probably where the, the, the real trouble started for me in terms of like my capacity to get as much pornography as I wanted and engage with it. Uh, unbeknownst to my parents, like th they didn't pay for internet. I basically had clandestine internet in, uh, and I would set it up in my room and then it, it would go from there, right? So from that point, I started to get ready to go on a mission, and I was getting ready to go to college, and I knew that I didn't really want pornography in my life, but I didn't have any tools. There was literally nothing out there. Like, if I had gone to my bishop and said, hey, I have a porn problem, my bishop would have been like, okay, good luck. Like, <laughs> there would, I mean, the best he could have done was to send me to maybe a 12-step group. I don't know that, I don't, I'm sure they existed at that point, but I I didn't, I hadn't ever heard of any. And I think that anybody who was in my position at that time was basically in the same boat. There was no resources. There was nothing other than like the First Strength of Youth pamphlet, which was like, hey, don't look at porn. And then, of course, this cultural message, which was essentially, <laughs> if you look at porn, it's going to destroy your life, which, of course, that made me not want to tell anyone ever about any of it, right? I was like, I'm not good. <laughs> I'm not going to admit to everybody in my life that I'm going to destroy my life because I look at porn, which is not, I, I'll be honest with you, that was not a helpful message for me anyway. And then, you know, I cleaned up everything and <laughs> this is kind of a funny story, but so the very first time I had a wet dream, uh, I had been cleaning up my act and trying to get ready to go on my mission. And like the very, very first time I ever had a wet dream, I was like devastated. I was like, oh no. I got to go in, I got to tell the bishop, I'm going to have to confess, and I thought I was doing so well, and I was just so distraught, and I go in, and I talk to the bishop, and he's like, oh, no, that's totally normal, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you feel so sad that this happened, because it's not a bad thing, it's totally fine, <laughs> but I had never, I had never experienced that to my knowledge, so it was one of those things that, like, it's eye-opening for me to look back on it and go, yeah, I had no idea. I literally had no idea. Well, what I think is super fascinating is that you went and talked to your bishop about that, right? Well, yeah. Well, I was trying to go on a mission, and I thought, oh, man, if I ejaculate, that means that, that I've, like, broken the rules. That's what I thought. 
And of course, that's not true. It's just a matter of like education, and I had none. Yeah. I mean, my parents weren't terribly keen to have that conversation with me because they, I'll be honest, they like, I don't, but the only, the only conversations we ever had about sex were when my sister would talk about it or bring it up at like the kitchen table when we're all having dinner. And usually it was not, it was like basically crass. My sister liked to push buttons, my older sister. And so it was more like, <laughs> it, it was more like we were uh, speaking about whatever crass thing that my sister had picked up or wanted to talk about. And it wasn't really like, okay, well, uh, this is what it looks like to have a wet dream or this is how, um, you know, whatever X thing is works. It was never educational. It was always just like somewhat conversational, but not. I imagine your dad would probably change the subject. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, my dad was like very uncomfortable. I think that's why my sister would bring those things up at the dinner table because I think she liked pushing his buttons. So, you know, I go on a mission and I, and I, even on my mission, so I went to Rome and Rome is, you know, it's wonderful. It's amazing. Uh, lots of naked, uh, naked statues around, lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of, uh, topless women at the beaches. So we weren't really allowed to go to the beaches. So I never really saw any of that at the beach, but you know, nudity was less of a big deal to, to Italians than, than it is to Americans. So occasionally you'd see, um, I remember one billboard, um, it was for olive oil, <laughs> but it was a baby sucking on, uh, suckling on his mother's breast or on the mom's breast, right? Like full on breast with a baby attached to it, uh, it w- giant billboards all over the city. And right. So as a missionary, that was, you know, those were the things that I, I fought against it. Like, it was like this thing where it's like, Oh, I can't look, I can't see that. I can't, you know, and you're having this major drama around something that is as simple as a baby breastfeeding. Which is so fascinating because in other countries, a, a baby breastfeeding is totally normal. Like you yeah. would see that, you know, you go to the the you islands anywhere. Yeah. or anywhere basically yeah. besides America and women breastfeed without yeah. covers probably everywhere, yeah. you know, not a big deal. Yeah, no, and, and you're exactly right. So, and you even hear, like, you know, you've had friends that go to South America and they'll share stories about, oh, yeah. you know, women just... Like breastfeeding right then and there while they're teaching them the discussions and that kind of and stuff. And it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal culturally. Yeah. Where I I think a lot of the way that the that the church and the culture of the church has dealt with pornography and nudity and um, just the 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 blanket idea that we call modesty, which I think is a number of things that have less to do with. So for me personally the blanket idea that the church culture calls modesty has a lot less to do with how much we're covered and and has a lot more to do with you know what we think and who we're being and where we're coming from in our in our uh in what we choose to wear right so there i was you know as a missionary like just dealing with it just like everybody else and with basically no access we didn't have smartphones i didn't even have a cell phone this was um so I was on my mission during 9-11, so from 2000 to 2002, essentially, was, was my mission. And came home, was ecstatic to get home. And I, I didn't have much trouble um, for most of the time uh, that first year after I got home. But then, you know, things progressed, and I, I got to a place where I was looking at porn every once in a while. 
and still kind of struggling with how to how to talk about it. <laughs> I remember once I went, I I like brought my dad in because I I had told my bishop that I was struggling, and my bishop was like, "Well, I think you should talk to your dad about it." So I remember this vividly. I, I bring my dad into my room, and I'm sitting there in my in my <laughs> office chair at the end of my bed, and dad's just standing there, and he's like, what, "What's up? What do you need?" And I'm like, hey, so I'm really struggling with pornography and masturbation. And, you know, I, here I am, like, telling him this really important, really painful thing that I'm dealing with. And Probably pretty dang hard for you to share. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, it was tough to share. But, I, you know, I, I, you know, my bishop was like, yeah, you should tell him. And so I, was, I thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah, my poor dad. I think it was, it was like I hit him dead in the eyes, like a deer in the headlight. He was like, uh, okay. (laughs) He basically didn't say anything. And then he walked out of the room and I was like, uh, okay. I think that was a mistake. (laughs) Uh, I, (laughs) I had no idea like what he was thinking. He did not share any of his, it wasn't like, well, son, you know, it's really important to get none of that. It was just like, Nothing. Uh, nothing. Yeah, and uh, my dad, he's a great guy, but it's like, uh, it was I, clear he didn't know how to handle it. Yeah, or what no, to say he definitely did not know how to handle it. Anything. And was I think not comfortable I think that's not an it. uncommon reality for a lot of people. So it, it was, it was just like, uh, okay, all right, then I'm on my own on this, and you know, we, things went from here to there, and I, I continued to struggle, and then of course. I was always dating girls and I was always trying to like find the the girl that I was going to marry. Cause at that point it was, you know, return from a missionary from being a missionary. And I was like, this is my one job other than like getting an education. So I was dating every girl that I could get a date with because I thought in part, I thought, well, once I get married, this will be solved. I really did think that I was like, yes, absolutely. 100%. I'll be able to have all the sex because my wife will, of course, have sex with me. And then this will, like, manage the urge to look at porn because I'll have a real naked woman instead of a, a fake naked woman and all of that stuff. And that, you know, no, I know now, and, I, and I'm sure anybody who's listening to this knows now, that's not true. But it was the mentality that I took into our marriage. And even... Even that last night, so it's interesting, right? So my cousin gave me, my, my best man and my cousin, who I love, he, he gave me a book, kind of as a gag, uh, and it was like, a, I think it was like a Kama Sutra book that was illustrated with real people doing real positioning. And I, I, I checked that out and thinking at, while I was doing it, oh, I'm a, bad, I'm a bad citizen for even looking at this. So it was really, it was really tough to be honest. It was tough to to not have really any good guidance. It was really tough to think that I was never going to resolve this. It was really tough to not have um, any real support. Not because my, not because people didn't want to support me, but because I don't think anybody knew how to support me. I don't think people really knew what to do. Uh, even 20 years ago, because the message was essentially, if you look at porn, you will destroy your life. Everyone around you will like burn run away, run away. And you know, the messages that we hear (laughs) or that we heard as, as youth that I heard as a youth was like, 
you know, if a boy looks at porn, you run the other way. Uh, and which is like this message of irredeemability. You're never going to solve this. That is a tough message. That was tough for me to internalize. I'm sure that was tough for a lot of young women to kind of think, oh, well, and maybe it wasn't tough for young women to, to hear. Maybe they just thought, oh, yeah, that's what you do. If a boy looks at porn, you just run, and that's not a big deal. But I know for a lot of the people who are listening to this, a lot of the people who have struggled with pornography in their marriage, that message or that kind of message kind of gives you this sense uh, that when you find out your spouse is viewing pornography and you had no idea, it gives you this sense of like, oh, I'm screwed. I'm out of luck. And that was, you know, I think that was probably the message that I was, I was working with. I was operating under this idea of like, listen, if you can't fix this when you get married, you're screwed. That's it. That's the end of it. And you got to keep this a secret because she'll run. She'll leave you because that's the only thing she can do. So that, that was tough. That was a really tough reality for me. So I hope this gives you a sense of who we are. In the next episode, we'd like to tell you a little bit about our how marriage. How we met. And how we met and how all of this came together and what, what happened when kind of the, the, <laughs> the secret came out and, and what that meant to each of us in that period of time. So we really appreciate you guys listening. If you can, just leave us a review. It's a fantastic way to help us share this message with more people. And the more people who see this message and hear this message, I, I think the, the more people we can help. So thank you so much, you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Thrive Beyond Pornography. If you're seeking guidance and support to overcome pornography for good and begin creating a thriving life beyond it, check out my free webinar, How to Overcome Pornography with Skills that Actually Work. You'll learn practical, proven skills guided by an expert coach who has personally overcome pornography. Whether you're getting started for just yourself or along with your spouse, Darcy and I can teach you the tools that will help you put your life on the right path for you. Be sure to check out the show notes for a direct link and... If you could take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, it would mean the world to us. Your reviews play a significant role in helping others discover the show so they can join us on this transformative journey. Thank you for being part of the Thrive Beyond Pornography community. Until our next episode, stay strong, stay focused, and keep thriving.